I'll invite you, if you brought your Bible with you this morning, to open up your text. Uh, we're continuing on in this series uh, talking about the acts of the church. We've been looking at the uh, different ingredients that have gone into making the church. We've gone into things like hope and fellowship. We've talked about leaders. We've talked about uh, children and, and their inclusion and, and faithful families and their inclusion. Now we're delving into some of the stories that come from the early church. This morning we are in Acts chapter 10. We're continuing on with this story, and this morning we're dealing with the, uh, the story of someone named Cornelius. It's a story, I, I like to tell it kind of in, in three acts if I, if I can have you keep your Bible open to Acts chapter 10. If you brought your electronic Bible, uh, that will also do uh, very well as well. I'm going to read the first nine verses here to start as we set the scene for scene one. Before we read the Word of God, let's just spend a moment in prayer as we prepare our hearts, our ears, and our minds. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Word to us, that as that Word has gone forth from place to place through your people, we now find it finding a home here. And so we ask now in these next few moments that your word will be, as it's open before us, will be open to our minds and open to our hearts and open to our hands so that by listening to your word we may be changed. We may think differently and we may act differently too. We pray this because the power of your spirit is available to those who call upon your name. And so, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm in Acts chapter 10. I'm going to start at verse 1. First nine verses. Well, first eight verses, pardon me. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a remembrance before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying there with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and one of his soldiers who was a devout man. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Keep your finger in our text this morning. That is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, last week, if you remember, we sat over there and uh, the idea for asking kids about Thanksgiving came as a natural product of last week's uh, question. So sometimes uh, if, if you kids are out there, you might have a clipboard with you right now. And that clipboard, oh, I guess adults too, I guess, uh, it has some questions on it, maybe some words that you had heard that you didn't know before, or maybe an idea or, or something that came out of the text. And last week, um, Pastor Joan was, was showing me uh, a couple of the responses. And if you weren't here, we dealt with Ananias and Sapphira who, upon lying about giving gifts to the church, uh, fell dead. And so one child wrote, What I learned is that if you don't give to the church, you will die. 
Well, that's not exactly what the, the point of last week's message was. God wants our hearts indeed, and it seems like Cornelius is one of these who gets it. Cornelius was a giver. I mean, there are both in this world, right? There are givers and there are takers in this world. Ananias and Sapphira, takers. Cornelius is a giver. I mean, some people think they've got it all figured out. They just give orders, you know what I mean? <laughs> that, that's not quite the same sort of giving. And others should just take those orders, right? In a thirsty world, trickle down doesn't exactly work. Cornelius didn't like a thirsty world. He was a hard worker and he was respected. He was seen amongst his, his peers as devout. I almost feel like if there was a movie poster for the story of Cornelius and Peter, it'd be the same movie poster as Twins. Uh, you know the, the 1980s movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito? And it's like the huge tall, big guy and the, you know, the tiny little guy. Like, that's what I kind of imagine when I see the two of them talking to each other. But the state of the world was, was difficult in that time, regardless of whether you were heads uh, above the crowd or not, whether you were doing a good job at work and were recognized for it or not. It was a difficult time. Most people are surprised to learn that about, um, yeah, probably a little bit more than half of people were, uh, were in slavery at the time. About two-thirds, say, some um, people in the second century, people like Tertullian, telling us that essentially what happened is that in that world, if you wanted to live, say, past 15 years old, you didn't have a choice between sweet potatoes and regular because there, there weren't a lot of potatoes. <laughs> so you would basically cons conscribe yourself. You would sign up to work in the house of someone who could afford to feed you. That was your hope. That was the hope for people like Onesimus, the slave in the book of Philemon that we read later on. And what we discover at this time is that really if you wanted to make it past 30 or 40 years old, you had to stick around there. Now, the other way, the other option was to become, um, if you had the ability to become a Roman citizen, was to get your citizenship. And you could do that by becoming part of the Roman guard. That's what Cornelius does. He's a commander, actually, of a, of a group of a battalion. And uh, so he's, he's raised in the ranks. He's probably going to work there for about 25 years. That's his uh, dedication. That's what he owes in order to become a Roman citizen and to have the rights to be able to continue to live within the Roman Empire. If you were older than 50, you didn't have many friends. I'll just put it that way. If you were a child, when we grieve about what happened this past week and think of 20 children, and we grieve that now, 20 children would be lunchtime. It was a difficult world. Difficult to know who to trust, where to spend your dollar and who to give to. Cornelius had good friends, though. That's where we kind of stop here in this scene. He's got these friends who listen to what he has to say. I've just had a miraculous encounter with, with 
Jesus, or uh, in, this, in this place, he's referring to him as the Lord. So potentially even a God that's not even from his you know, normal area, which is like Rome and the Roman Empire. They had their own Roman gods, you know, not this idea of Yahweh, not this God-fearing person. So these, these friends that come alongside Cornelius, his family too, they've got to put a lot of trust in what this guy has to say. They've got to believe him. Enough, enough so to go. And this is the end of the first scene as the camera's about to change to a different person, one who speaks with a different accent, much shorter, a little bit more squat. But he has seen some things and he has been some places that Cornelius has not. Peter likely lived in Capernaum near Caesarea. Let's continue with him until we get, I'll stop it around verse 23. I'm picking up at verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. This was commonplace. He wasn't crazy. Uh, the roofs were, were flat, and it was uh, often like an outdoor open airspace, like a patio. He became hungry and wanted to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Uh, the word there is ecstasy. He was basically outside of himself, outside of his mind in a way. He saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything unpure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure or unclean. God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men to the house to be his guests. Let's pause there. Ecstasy, like I say, it means kind of beside himself. That's where Peter is in the midst of this. It's not his first vision. Won't be the second time, uh, you know, that supernatural forces kind of overtaken his, his body. <laughs> Remember Pentecost? That was kind of fun. He had walked with Jesus. He had been there when people had been healed and rejoiced with them and picked up their mats after they were, you know, off gallivanting and rejoicing and praising God. Peter was actually even the person that Jesus, in fact, had said, Peter, you're my rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church. He was an important guy. He probably had work to do. 
there he was, you know, sitting there planning and thinking and probably laying out a sermon series, maybe. Hoping to get a meal into himself and then a knock on the door in his head. <laughs> it was a challenge. It was a challenge to authority. And Peter had it wrong. The church had it wrong. I've been there. Have you? <laughs> See, I thought it was wrong once, but then you'll get that on the way home. <clears throat> Peter had an idea as to what the church should look like. God had already been revealing to him had always revealed to the people of Israel what the church was kind of supposed to look like. Gave them a whole list of rules and all this stuff. And he was still working out. Maybe that's what he was doing up there. Working out how people like Cornelius fit in. How does this guy get in? The church sometimes has a difficult time creating space, doesn't it? Some people think it's because the, the church is off-putting. You know, it's full of hypocrites. I usually agree with the person and then remind them that there's room for one more. So come and join us. We meet at 10. And Peter is one more. He is. He saw this radical inclusion that Jesus showed as he followed him. And he himself had been an outsider before. Before he was called ordained. I mean, it wasn't even the first time Peter got it wrong. He's been wrong three times, even once before. He was alone that night standing around the fire, trying not to say too much, but his accent, living on the water all those years, gave him away. Young girl comes to him and says, aren't you one of his disciples? Me? No. And then the rooster crows. Three times. <laughs> Seems like to Peter twice is never enough. Fool me once. <laughs> Fool me twice. <laughs> Let's continue. Continuing on with the second half of verse 23. Scene number three. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. Here it comes. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Hmm. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 
Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest at the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men and women from every nation who fear him and do what is right. This is the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God already had chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This return scene of the outsider who comes in and changes everything Peter's realizing that God is rearranging some furniture and making some place for people. They're marked by the same sign, by the same Spirit. They read the same words. That's what Paul will say later in Ephesians chapter 4. There's but one of these things. There should be no more confusion. And regardless of how it has always happened, And regardless of who has always been there and who has always been invited and who has always fit in, the church at that moment on was no longer going to fill its member roles with people who looked a certain way or fell in line with the tradition for tradition's sake. God was making sure of it. Shouldn't be in here. That's what it felt like. Did you ever get that feeling? Hey, I'm not sure if we're supposed to be in here. 
I bet you that's what they kind of experienced in the 80s when Daryl Davis was becoming a little uh, popular. He's, he's a, he plays uh, gospel style, like rhythm and blues uh, piano. Uh, think of like Jerry Lee Lewis, yeah, Great Balls of Fire type sort of thing. Very famous uh, as a studio musician in the, in the 1980s and 90s, uh, was playing in Chicago one night, and someone came up to him and said, wow, man, you are just really good. I can't believe this. Now, I've never heard anyone be able to play like Jerry Lee, uh, who looked like you. And he said, oh, okay. And his friend sitting there behind him saying, tell him, tell him. Said, I'm not going to tell him, tell him. Well, truth be told, I'm part of a, a little organization um, in the United States, uh, the southern part of the United States, that wears white robes and pointed hoods. And from that day on, Daryl Davis made it his point. He has had several hundred conversations with now former Klan members, people from the KKK who were built on this idea that certain people didn't fit in because of how they looked, where they came from, how they sounded. Hundreds of people coming to realize that they, they know the same tune. They like the same music. That's really the message of Christ. You should be here. The pathway has been laid for you to come, and you're here. But Jesus cuts pathways that are sometimes seldom trod. And he includes visitors that sometimes we wouldn't expect. He invites people that we just, we wouldn't have thought to. God says, read it. Listen. Over and over, I come to you. I come to you uninvited, and I provide all that you stand in need of. And God says, now that I am offering this free gift to you, accept it. I will make that pathway clear for you. I want for you to see this world the way I see it. I want to give you a purpose and a sense of community. It may be a community you don't expect. But it's in me because your identity is in me. One thing we forget, I think, is how invitational God is. How invitational Christ is. Come to me, all who are weary. Come. Don't, don't let the little children, don't suffer the little children. Let them come to me. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come, who are thirsty. Come. The disposition of invitation is a godly trait. Come to church not just because, not because this is where God is. Come to church because this is where those who want to hear from Him stand on level ground to do so. And our worship, it will include things that maybe surprise you, like giving to the poor. Surprising who can teach you what, when. 
whether three o'clock in the afternoon or a late evening snack. You see, it's a desire, it's a need that we all have. C.S. Lewis called it a God-shaped hole that we try to fill with so many different things in our life. And I, I believe that for Cornelius' sake, he probably was doing good in order to try to serve God. In his absolute best, we know that from the text. But often, we try to do good or work hard or find other things that will fill this God-shaped hole without realizing the little creaks and crevices, the spaces around that never can quite satisfy. Some people fill it with family. Some people fill it with jobs. Some people fill it with food. Some people fill it with celebration or travel or getting ahead. My friends, the, the invitation of Jesus Christ is built upon the premise, built upon the idea that the pathway needs to be cut for you. And he's willing to, and he does, in the person of Jesus Christ. And we have these needs for acceptance, for forgiveness, for community, identity, and purpose, and this is what we find central to the Christian gospel. A message that helps us to root and find our identity in Christ. And as He increases, we decrease. And as, I, and as this happens, our community of faith and the support with which this community grows from this place will be exponential. And the love and the service that we show will turn the lights on in a community that is waiting for illumination. Got to go see family yesterday. The first time in about 10 years, something like that, that we had, yeah, nine years that we had family together for Thanksgiving. We've lived in Alberta for nine years, those of you who don't know. And so for our family of, of six, coming uh, back to Ontario was a homecoming of sorts. And so there was also a, compounded by a homecoming that my parents had. My parents just arrived back from Holland uh, this past week. And so we were uh, going over the stories of the places that they stopped. They, they went to Holland. They have friends there, and that's where they, uh, they kind of vacation with. And then when they come here, they stay with mom and dad and all that sort of thing. Um, so they went to Holland, and then they decided to book a couple of bus trips. So they went to Germany, and they went to France, and they spent some time at Normandy, and understanding and seeing the place where many great sacrifices were, were made there. I was very thankful for uh, hearing their, their story about their trip. It seems like they really got a chance to connect uh, with even the local community. Uh, both my parents, they speak uh, at least you know, well enough in Dutch to, to get on, and uh, that my father was invited to come and sing with a local, uh, local men's choir. <laughs> and so he said, yeah, sure, why not? So he goes along and he's, and he's singing, and yeah, sure, not. he can follow along, and he's singing with his choir, and apparently it's quite a thing there. They have uh, all these men's choirs, and they, they sing within the community and community halls, and they welcome people who are coming to them. Small little towns, small little places. They were on one of these bus trips, and uh, they found themselves... <laughs> In, 
in France, uh, Denard, if I'm not mistaken. And in this little bus, these ancient streets are not built for modern vehicles, and uh, especially not with people who are also seeking modern convenience, like skip the dishes or something like this. So you see, like you know, two or th- two or three you know lines of cars, and what's supposed to be a, a, a throughfare, and this large bus. And so, well, we can't make it this way. So these bus drivers, they know all the back roads. Oh, we'll take this alleyway. Takes the alleyway. Uh oh, gets stuck because there's someone who's you know, creating a pinch point. 150 feet, this bus has got to back up. Not fun, especially when you have about four and a half inches on each side. So they're going to take, you know, 40 minutes to back this, this bus up. And just to get it back out into the, the alley. And my parents are sitting in the back of this bus. And the bus comes, and it stops right at the end of, uh, and there's, there's a curb there, about 80 inches, and then about a 110-foot drop. And... <laughs> My dad, it, he's an engineer. Who, if you don't understand, uh, you know, some, an optimist is someone who sees the glass half full, and a pessimist is a glass half empty. An engineer sees the glass that's exactly two times the size that it needs to be. So my dad's like, you have two, one, yeah, stop. <laughs> so you know, particular, you can use every inch, but don't use more. Oh, he's there. And there's somebody there inside this bus. Said, oh, tourists, these people coming from all over, you know. And my dad's trying to place the accent. It's not because it, it's not French. He wasn't smoking a cigarette and saying, Les Americans, you know, or anything. It wasn't anything like stereotypical like that. But so dad's trying to place this, this accent. They got on their way. Come to find out in conversation later on that day. The man's accent is actually uh, from Holland. He's, he's from Holland, also taking this bus trip in, in France. And he's talking to, not my father, who um, kind of caught the brunt of this, you know, uh, tourists. You know, I think in the midst of uh, COVID and stuff like that, people are a little wary of the stranger. And so, yeah, I'm not so sure what to do with someone like my dad being there. <laughs> well, my dad's friend, Hank, where they were chatting with this other gentleman. They're talking about these choirs that they both sing in. The man also sings in a choir, you see, in a small little town, not far from where my parents were saying, you know where I'm going, don't you? So they went, (laughs) and they sat there. My father uh, recognized immediately um, the man, uh, fully dressed in his tuxedo, orange tie, really sharp, bow tie. in their, in their full tux, recognized the man up there and recognized the man's wife, took a seat right beside his wife. So there's my mom and dad sitting there, and he's getting up there. <clears throat> he's got his music, and he's all set, and he's waving to his wife. And my dad said, what he did is he just plastered on the biggest grin that he could muster with two huge thumbs up like this. <laughs> and the guy wasn't quite sure what to do as they were about to start singing the song. And he turns a balloon red and <laughs> it didn't have much air in him though. Uh, he turns balloon red, he turns himself and it continues on with the song with a little I said to my dad, I think, I think I realized what happened. I th- 
I think he realized that you guys both sing for the same choir master. That you sing in the same choir. Friends, you may leave this place and you may sing a tune and it may be familiar to someone close to you. But one day, we will join together. Here, maybe just a few hundred. But there in that heavenly host before our choir master who calls us together, who's given each a part, invites us to sing to his glory. That is how the church is built. And just remember, as you're being thankful and passing your, your thanks and around the, the foods over this weekend, just remember who we have to thank for when we pull our socks on in the morning or click the light off at night. And then when you do remember, remember that he had a disposition of invitation. He was always inviting. Maybe you want to think of someone that you could invite. This week, if you're visiting with us, make your gift to us, the, the gift of getting to know you, just a little bit better. We have things like life groups, because no one does life alone. We have events and things like this that you can get plugged into. You can start with a Connect card just at the welcome desk there. If you've been here for years and you call this place home, maybe you should stop in at that desk anyways. Maybe take a look at those Connect cards and imagine a name of someone who should be sitting in the seat beside you. Someone that you will be inspired to invite someday. Maybe even in a trance. <laughs> if you're really inspired, why don't you put the name Cornelius there and see who God invites. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word to us is true. That it is able to fling wide gates and Lord as we are about to lift our voices and thank you Lord we just we praise you that we have the opportunity to gather together that you've through the provision of your son you've given us the gift of your church so Lord be with us allow us to remember to be people who invite people who come and people who gather people who give thanks. In your name I pray. Amen.